So everyone knows, number one, what they're supposed to be doing. And then number two, how to do it, SOPs. And then number three, are they hitting the metrics they should be? And if you hit on all these items, that's how you scale a business. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Hebercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. All right, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint with Dan Haberkost and Mason McDonald. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a little bit about scaling your business. What all do you need to do once you've gotten past that initial kind of hurdle where you're making money, but you're scrambling and, and doing everything. So before we dive into that, uh, Mason, how's business going for you? Business is a boom in my friend. A lot more sales. You know, it feels like the summer was a little bit slower uh, from a sales standpoint, but really great from an acquisition standpoint. So very different from last year, but uh, things are moving right along. And I think this episode is going to be really useful for people that are, you know, new to business. Um, and I think it's mm -hmm. uh, going to be really fun to talk about. Yeah, no, uh, agreed strongly. I've had some that were sitting a long time that have gone under contract to sell. I've had ones that were just listed that have gone under contract to sell. So same sort of thing here where, honestly, this last month, it hasn't felt a whole lot different than 2021. Yep. Which makes me think that, uh, you know, whenever you're able to look at the the big picture and if you have a good blueprint, business just works. And, you know, maybe that's why we call this show that. So I think we should just jump right into it. Um, you know, Dan, I think you and I had uh, probably very different experiences starting our own businesses where you know, I came from, you know, a leadership position in a very, very well established business um, that has been around for 100 years. Actually, after this podcast, I'm going to the 100 year celebration in the hospital I used to work at. So building it from the ground up is very interesting, you know, coming from that role. And it's funny how many things I did wrong. But for you, Dan, regardless of where you started, if you could start a business now, how would you what would be step one? Um, to building a business ready to scale? Yeah, well, step one would be building out the org chart. So you have to know what are all the roles and responsibilities that have to be done in this business and then create job descriptions and, and individual jobs for each. And this isn't going to be perfect, especially if you're newer, but you got to have a starting point. So I, that's step number one in my mind. What do you think? I completely agree. I think that whenever you are looking at all of the responsibilities that you have in the business, all of the tasks that need to be done, every, absolutely everything, there's a person that is going to be in charge of that task or that responsibility. So if you look at our business, for instance, I think of, okay, there's acquisitions, there's dispositions, there's sales, there's transaction coordination, there's bookkeeping, there's accounting, there's marketing, there's data pulling, all of those. I build out an org chart and say, here is the director of whatever, or here is acquisition manager, disposition manager, and titles don't necessarily matter at this point. And you know, while we're talking about these new businesses that are getting started, we're really focusing on those of you guys that are the solo entrepreneur. You already have a business that's established in some capacity and you need to go in and get this going and have a person tied to it, even if it's an imaginary person. So I think the org chart is absolutely the first place to get started. Yep. And, and to your point, at first, 
it's probably you in every seat. Maybe you have a realtor selling some for you or transaction coordination is handled by a solid title company, but uh, at the beginning, you're you're doing just about everything. Oh, yeah. And from that, you know, you have created all of the tasks that are associated with all of the positions within the business. But what do you have to create within the organization from an internal documentation standpoint to make sure that all of these roles, whether they're made up people or real people or contractors at this point in time, how do they know what they're doing? Yeah, well, this is where the document everything phrase comes from. So SOP, standard operating procedures. And it is important to wear all the hats for a little while so you know what needs done in each position so you can hire accordingly, so you can train accordingly and create uh, the appropriate system. So standard operating procedures are simple templates for how to do everything in your business. And so in my business, I know you do the same, when I catch myself performing any sort of task, I document it. If it's not already, of course, uh, whether that's how to do a sales call, how to, to handle transaction coordination, market specific due diligence, stuff like that. How do you do your SOPs? So I've done it differently. And the reason for that is I am the least detail-oriented person that you could ever possibly imagine existing on this planet. Creating and documenting standard operating procedures is painful for me. It is so, so painful for me. I hate doing monotonous stuff, uh, doing the boring stuff. Even though I'm great at giving the advice of keep doing the boring stuff in business, it's hard for me to do in my own business. So what I have copied and pasted from something you taught me, Dan, is... Whenever I do something in the business, I use a tool like Loom or Screencast-O-Matic and I record myself doing it and I can go back and type up what I did or more likely I outsource it to a VA or my wife or someone else that enjoys that kind of work where they can go in and create a bullet point list that is a direct match of everything that I did. And what's nice about recording yourself doing it is in a great standard operating procedure because so much of what we do is on a screen in our businesses, uh, regardless of whether you have a land flipping company like us or very various other business uh, businesses in the world. You can screenshot, hey, you know, this is the bullet point talking about selecting a market, and this right here is a screenshot of the tool that I used in that moment. So, record myself either myself or someone else documents uh, what I did and attaches screenshots for it where if you picked up my standard operating procedures, you could go run this business just as well as I'm doing myself through them. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head there. That's the whole goal is getting this to the point where when you hire somebody, you can give them your SOPs and in theory, don't really need to train them at all. Uh, if this is done as well as it could be. And especially in our business, it's so simple. But I'm glad you mentioned this is applicable across the board. Everything we're going to talk about here today is applicable to any sort of business. Of course, we're speaking to uh, land investing, but I also created a bunch of SOPs for my property manager managing my rentals. So uh, this is applicable across the board. It makes it way easier to do business with you too. I think uh, a lot of people will be offended sometimes if you give them a standard operating procedure for something that's really, really basic. And it's something that as I've grown and evolved in my business that I need to start doing a little bit more where, for instance, 
creating a standard operating procedure for what a land listing looks like. Finding realtors that are familiar with working with land investors is very rare. And then finding realtors that work with land investors and are just familiar with land in general is super rare. Land is a very unique you know, world to be in. And I think that if you can say, hey, I need drone pictures that outline the lot. I need some from this angle, some, some from this angle. These are the descriptions. You know, I want it to have wildlife. I want pictures of the plants. I want some various different things depending on the property. And you give it to a realtor and you say, hey, this is something that I've created over the years of doing dozens, hundreds of land deals. I hope this is help for, helpful for you and your listing because if you're working with a really competent realtor, they might say, actually, this works better in this particular market, but not this one, uh, which would be an amazing response to ever receive. But being able to give it not just to employees or future employees in your organization, but the people you do business with, it's really nice. And if you listen back to our other episode about hiring employees, you need to outline all of this information for your employer or contractor, because most people don't really know how to do their jobs very well because they've never received something like what Dan or myself have created in our businesses. Well, you made a lot of good points there. I'm trying to bookmark each to hit on them here. Uh, but one side half joke, it's hard to find realtors that know anything about real estate, let alone land. We need to go down that rapid. Yeah. Um, anyways, one thing you said that I, I really liked there is SOPs for things that seem really obvious. And I would make this, uh, make an analogy to, to checklists for flight crews who they have checklists of very simple items that you wouldn't think you'd want a checklist for. But the reason being the ramifications of potentially missing something just one time are literally life and death. And so that's the issue is that if you're doing hundreds and hundreds of deals, obvious stuff will occasionally get missed. And we don't ever want to miss because there's a lot of money at stake. And so one of my acquisition managers that's newer asked me, do you, know, do you want every single time in Pebble, our CRM, to have each due diligence item filled out? And I said, yes, every time, no matter what, every time. Uh, no, no exceptions. And so that's the reasoning there. And so having SOPs that you follow like a flight crew does is really important because especially once you're doing this at scale, which is what we're talking about, you're going to miss stuff. Your employees are going to miss stuff, occasionally even stuff that's really obvious, and that can cost you a lot of money. So SOPs that you do not vary from no matter what, no matter how simple, are really important. We're going to keep hammering this point because if you're trying to scale your business and you're trying to do it without SOPs, it's just not going to work. Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande is a great book to read about creating appropriate checklists or standard operating procedures for it. Dan mentioned flight checklist. It's how the surgeons created the pre-surgery checklist based on pre-flight checklist because it is life and death. And in this business, while it might not seem like life and death, if you purchase something for an outrageous cost and you thought you did all of your appropriate work from a due diligence perspective, that could collapse you as a business owner. I'll give a quick example of there was a lot, a vacant lot in Colorado Springs that I was super excited about. The seller was motivated. It all seems great on the county assessor website. It looked perfect. Uh, it had an address. It was a great size. I had some issues with it just because I was looking on Google Maps and it looked like the neighbor's fence encroached, but wasn't too big of a deal. And 
Everything said it was buildable. Everything looked good. Turns out it was a drainage easement. And then the owner never said anything about it. He pretended like he didn't know if that was an actual lot, we could have probably sold it for 80 to a hundred thousand. He wanted about 40,000 for it. And there was nothing we could have done with that lot. It would have been an absolutely useless piece of real estate. And the reason we were able to catch something like this is because we have a pretty standard standard operating procedure for due diligence includes calling the county and confirming that it's buildable. And that one phone call with the county right there ended up saving me $40,000 on purchasing a piece of land that otherwise looked great in every other capacity. And when you start doing a lot of deals, whether it's land deals or anything like that, if you don't do the basics, this will happen because I guarantee you most land investors I know would have purchased that lot without doing anything with it. Even my realtor yeah. didn't know it was a drain and cheesement. So just a anecdote to prove the point of document everything that you're doing and make sure you utilize those standard operating procedures once they're created because it's very easy to get lazy. Yes, it is. And that's when you lose money. So you also hit on the point of SOPs help employees know what they're responsible for. I want to come back to that when we get to KPIs because I have an example from my business recently with a new employee of the importance of that. So we'll, we'll hit on that when we get to KPIs. But next, if you want to scale, we're talking about increasing your marketing, the volume and, and specificity. So you want to hit on that, Mason? Yeah. I think if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to our episode about focusing on lead measures. I think that's one of the most beneficial things you can do in your business to recognize where you should be spending your time. If you listen to a lot of real estate podcasts, you hear it pretty often is you either have enough time, enough deals, or enough money. And in order to get into the space where you have more deals than you know what to do with and where this episode's going to be going, talking about raising money and hiring people, you got to be sending more mail. If you're getting deals, you need to spend all of your money in your business, assuming that all of your bills are paid for on sending more and more mail. And then also getting specific and sending better mail. And this is, we're using mail as kind of a placeholder of whatever marketing channel you're using within whatever specific business. But I send neutral letters. I am starting to send a lot more handwritten postcards targeting people that are very specific owners with very specific ownership criteria, very specific lots in very specific areas for very specific deals. And I said specific five times there for the reason of, I might be spending $1,000 on a very small pool of people, but my guess is my response rate is going to be much, much higher because of how specific and intentional I am. And then you have the volume play too by just blasting out as much as you possibly can. Yep. Yep. No, uh, agreed entirely. Uh, people and me included in this bucket, I have sold myself short many times when uh, things were working, I didn't send enough mail. I should have sent more when markets were really, really producing, uh, but I was I was short-sighted there. So if there's one place to really spend your money, especially when business is going well and you're getting deals and they're selling quickly, is in additional marketing because ultimately what you're doing is just scaling or multiplying all those dollars. So increasing your your marketing is another point. And so that could be going from a thousand to 5,000 mailers a month. It couldn't be remaining the same as far as the amount of mailers, but sending all hand address mailers. There's companies that do that uh, and you'll get a much higher rate. Uh, what we're doing right now, just to give 
An example from today is in the markets that are really producing, we're calling all of the failed mail. So in our CRM that both Mason and I use, Hevel, there's a certain portion of mailers that fail because the address won't validate uh, when the CRM goes to send the mailer. And we're calling those people and there's definitely a much higher response rate. We're getting deals from that because they're not getting mailers. Which is amazing because you're probably one of the few people that are actually doing it and doing it in a way that's backed by standard operating procedures and a good script. So whenever you get people on the phone, you're going to have a higher conversion rate. So whether your marketing medium is direct mail, whether it is cold calling, whether it is Facebook advertisements, whether it's you know putting up signs in the street, whatever it is, spend more money on it because that is how you're going to make more money. You got to spend money to make money. And in order to scale your business, you need to make more money. And the way you do that is you get more deals. And the way you do that is you focus on your lead measures. Yep. And one more point I wanted to make, uh, kind of encompassing SOPs and marketing, we get more deals from our marketing as we've gotten better with our execution of SOPs. So if you go to our folder of SOPs for Front Range Land, you'll find FAQ or Frequently Asked Question Sheets under transaction coordination, under uh, once we get a lot under contract, uh, just explaining the whole process, right? And my acquisition people have clear SOPs for when to send those and just everything is very standardized. So when they're talking to sellers who are uncertain of, oh, is this legitimate? Oh, well, hey, Mason, here's our SOP, or we don't call it that to them. Here's our sheet explaining the whole process, giving you our contact info for our title agent. Here's our sheet explaining how it happened or how it goes once under contract. Here's our sheet explaining our due diligence process when we tell you we're going to do our due diligence. And these SOPs that we share with the sellers builds legitimacy in their mind and just helps us get more deals. So it all kind of plays into each other. It ultimately makes our marketing better because we're closing more. And that right there is a piece of marketing material, having that FAQ, Mm -hmm. because It wouldn't surprise me a lot of times whenever you're dealing with someone that owns land or potentially owns a lot of land, they they know other people that own lots of land. We've gotten deals through word of mouth. And if you have a document of similar to what Dan has right there of an FAQ, they'll send that along to other people. We said it before of you either have deals, time or money. This is how you save time because everyone asks the same freaking questions all the time. And right there, you create an SOP and say, here's this, send this, and that is going to end up saving you minutes and minutes every single day, which, you know, accumulates to hours and hours and everything per year. So I think being able to recognize that marketing is how you get more deals to make more money and making sure you have SOPs tied to it and recognize back on SOPs, they're a living document. If you find a better way to do a process after trying it over and over again, don't think that it's static and that you should think you should do it the same way. It's just tweaking every little bit and getting better and better and better. But with that being said, if you start getting lots and lots of deals, especially if you're in the real estate space and you are frustrated because Mason and Dan told you to spend all your money on marketing and you don't have enough money to buy deals, what are you going to do? Well, I give up, I guess. No. Uh, At that point, There is money everywhere, guys. There still is money everywhere. Uh, This is very solvable. Whether it's, because we've talked about this before, so I don't think we need to dive into this too deeply, but whether it's asking around uh, your friends and family, 
posting on social media, hey, I need a joint venture partner. I have a great land deal at 40, 50 cents on the dollar. I need funded. Going to your local real estate group. That's where I met my first lenders, my first mentors and lenders. Uh, those are just a few options. One other thing that many people don't realize is some hard money lenders will fund land deals if they're low enough uh, as far relative to market value. So right there, I mean, you can get just about anything funded if you go through those options. Absolutely. And we have a whole episode on how to raise money specifically for land. So make sure to go check that one out. However, you have to recognize whether or not this is a skill that you have or it's a skill that you don't have because raising money is how you are able to scale in business. Beyond all of the systems and processes we're talking about, beyond the marketing, unless you are absolutely flush with cash and you are able to turn stuff over very, very quickly, the goal of this episode is to explain how to scale. And if you want to get big, you're going to have to start using other people's money. So just recognize that and that some people have that. Dan and I, I think we're both very grateful within our own businesses and ventures that we do together of we're pretty good at raising money. But some people, maybe you have an unhealthy relationship with money. Maybe, I don't know, you come across as sleazy or you have something, uh, something wrong with you where people won't trust you with money, even though you're really good at managing it. That's something you're going to have to hire out. Uh, because you're not going to be able to scale without using other people's money, which kind of leads us into our next conversation, which is hiring. And I think, Dan, I want you to talk about your first hire uh, for a full-time person and kind of how you both felt after hiring them and what you learned along the way and why you recognized you needed to hire someone in that moment. Yeah. So first one was in 2021, acquisition manager. And I more recognized it because uh, one of our friends, one of our older friends, a bit more experienced, told me, you need to go do this. And I was nervous to do it. But to answer your first question, I was relieved shortly after doing it. And it definitely forced me to get better and not miss on my lead measures because my lead measures are what lead to her having her leads, her uh, opportunity to make money. So I was glad I did it. I hired uh, her just for acquisitions, and that helped me grow my business for sure and just grow personally. Um, and one thing I would have done a little bit differently is, I don't know, I think I'd done like 40-some deals, 30-some deals at the time. I would have done a better job of documenting the SOPs, as we already talked about before hiring her, so she had a better uh, kind of box to walk into. And number two, I would have done a much better job with KPIs for her so that to your point earlier, she would know exactly what she needed to do to be successful in the role. That's, I think it's humbling recognizing, oh, people need money for the, based on the tasks that I've been not doing. And I said that in the worst way possible, but it's this idea <laughs> of that mail that I'm procrastinating on. My acquisition manager gets his, you know, monthly payments from me, his salary plus his commission from mail that I have sent. So I have to hold myself accountable for it. But the reason this episode flows in this way, and we started with the organizational chart, is you've got all these different positions in the business that you are doing all of them. There's certain ones that you can delegate very early on, such as bookkeeping or accounting or selling, utilizing realtors in our business specifically. But there comes a point where you need to bring on an employee, and that's scary. 
it really, really is scary having to hire someone and pay them commission or pay them salary, especially whenever you think that you can do it. But recognize that one plus one equals three. It'll be really nice whenever you have all of these standard operating procedures or all of these positions built out and you have someone come into this role and they say, Mason, why are you doing it this way? I can do it 10 times faster that way. And recognize that you're going to be emotional, emotional about certain things because you're the one that put the blood, sweat, tears, and money into creating these standard operating procedures and creating all that. But recognize getting a fresh set of eyes on things, getting someone that does things a little bit different than you that's better than you, whether it's raising money or cold calling or managing leads, that's going to multiply your business 10 times over. And you just got to you just got to figure out that you don't have enough time in the day and you don't have enough skill sets in your tool belt to do it all yourself which is why you need to get in there and hire someone yep a- absolutely no you made a lot of good points there and you know it's funny what you said about them being better than you are or sometimes enjoying things that you can't stand them see you know i've seen that now multiple times cuz uh to make phone calls to close land deals makes me want to blow my brains out but it's funny, obviously, you, you referred me, my newest acquisition manager, and she's having a blast. It's fun for her. She likes calling people and talking, and I don't. So it's really fun to see that. And one other point I wanted to make, and this takes us to our, our next little bullet point here, is how essential it is for your new employee to know exactly whether they are successful or not. And what I mean is, if you have clear metrics, clear KPIs, well, should should I be getting two lots a month under contract and what what's what am I responsible for and so the way that I've solved this and I believe you have something similar Mason is for my acquisition role on the initial job description I have all the KPIs the goals and their KPIs that correspond clearly listed out and so the KPIs key performance indicators are the lead measures that lead to the goal so every week my acquisition manager has a scorecard she has to fill out and there's a section for outbound prospecting, which has a certain amount of conversations that she has to hit, a certain amount of leads added to Pebble, and then inbound conversation, or excuse me, in- inbound metrics, which include how fast she's answering and calling people back, how quickly she's giving them offer- offers, and how quickly she's following up on weekend leads. And then finally, she has a pipeline follow-up and progression section, which includes uh, how often she's touching all the leads, how long they're staying in each stage of the pipeline. Yeah, so that, that's basically a different, uh, a couple different variations on that for different stages of the pipeline. But point being, she knows exactly what she needs to do in order to be successful and whether or not she's hitting the goals. And that's what people want more than anything. There's those of us that are very comfortable operating in the unknown and being creative and having a lot of uncertainty in business. But most of the population, they need that checklist, which all ties back to the standard operating procedures we started this conversation with. And you can kind of break KPIs down into a few different areas. You've got your financial KPIs, you have your performance KPIs, and you have your volume KPIs, where for your acquisition manager, the outbound calls, how many calls she's making, how all that kind of stuff where you can tie just a number to it, that's going to be a volume KPI as versus how quickly she's answering the phone and her conversion rate. Those are performance KPIs, which are typically going to be a benchmark number of typically out of 
one out of every 10 calls results in a conversation, one out of every 10 conversation results in a deal, and I'm making those numbers up. But if you see a performance slip based on data, which the only way you have data is if you're tracking this consistently over time, then you can see, okay, I need to go listen to these calls. Maybe they're not doing something right. Maybe their volume numbers are fine, but their conversion rate is way off. So you have to be able to pay attention to those performance KPIs because that shows either the quality of the employer or the quality of the lead, which gives you a lot of process improvement opportunity. And then there's your financial KPIs. If you don't have a bookkeeper or an accountant, you better make sure that you are keeping track of this stuff really, really well yourself. And you should be either on a monthly or quarterly basis looking at your balance sheet and looking at your profit and loss statement because sometimes it's uncomfortable. I've had months where I've lost money and I've had months where I've made lots and lots and lots of money. And those are the months that I really like looking at my balance sheet and my uh, profit and loss statements. And the ones where I lose money are the ones that I don't like doing it. But you have to have a general idea because what ends up happening when you start getting at certain levels of business is you're going to have investors asking for your PFS or your personal financial statement. You're going to have lenders asking about what your PL or your profit and loss statement looks like. And if you're a business owner and you're the CEO and sole employee, you need to know what your financial health of your organization is in. And you can recognize that from there, regardless of profit or EBITDA or NOI or any of these financial terms that I'm talking about, you should have a general idea of, I spend $10,000 a month on this business and it makes me $50,000 a month. And having that ratio right there of your 20x or your whatever that is, 5xing your operating expense spend uh, is something that gives you a lot of talking points to all of the stuff that we're talking about. Of if you're hiring your first employee or if you're trying to raise money, you need to know all of these different things. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Just to give yourself credibility when talking to lenders, both private and, and uh, banks as well, uh, PFS and PNL are two big ones that I've definitely had to provide quite a few times. So, I think that's that's really important. And the sooner you get in the habit of doing this stuff, the better. Uh, you know, in our business, a PL monthly isn't super useful, but quarterly or, or quarterly, I think is more appropriate. But so Mason, we went through starting with creating an org chart, creating your SOPs when you're fulfilling every role in that org chart, increasing your marketing volume once you're really ready to scale, hiring to fill some of the other or one of the other uh, org chart positions. And then getting really clear, really on top of all your data, right? All your KPIs, your numbers, both the internal ones uh, that only you know about and also the, the more public, public ones as far as what your employees are looking at, what they know about. All that needs to be clearly documented so everyone knows, number one, what they're supposed to be doing. And then number two, how to do it, SOPs. And then number three, are they hitting the metrics they should be? And if you hit on all these items, that's how you scale a business. Um, anything else you want to say? No, I think that was a great summary. I think that all of these tools, while it seems maybe basic to some or maybe extraordinarily complex to others, listen to that last 30 seconds of what Dan said. That right there explains everything that we just said over the past half hour and really boils it down to if you follow these simple steps and simple tools that uh, neither of us did appropriately when we started our own businesses, Uh, where we really wish we had gotten that started right at the beginning because it's way easier to get it started at the beginning. Or if you're only a few months or a year in, then 
when you've got 50,000 different things going on at the same time. So use the tools that we talked about. I hope this was a helpful episode for whether you are just getting started in your business or maybe your business has hit some walls of growth. But this is Mason McDonald and Dan Habercost with The Big Picture Blueprint, and we are signing off. And that's it for today's episode of The Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.